As the children are going this morning, if you have your Bibles, let's get to, to Luke chapter 24. Oh, look at all those children going. It's funny how the noise moves right out with them. Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. It's a little bit of an account of the resurrection account in the Gospel of Luke. This microphone sounds really loud this morning. Is it loud for you guys? Luke 24. Father, we thank you this morning that we come together and worship you. We thank you that we could be in this place and celebrate the resurrection of your son. It means so much to us today. What a beautiful day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's alive, and we're thankful, Lord. So bless this word, Lord, and bless our time together. And Father, do all that's in your heart. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 24, starting... Here in verse 1, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, listen, why do you seek the living one among the dead? We don't serve a dead God this morning. We serve a living God. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. Listen to what the angel said. Why do you seek the living one? That's who Jesus is. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words, and they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, there were Mary Magdalene and Jonah and Mary, the mother of James, also the other women with them, were telling these things to the apostles, but these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. So we stop there, and we see this scene at the graveside. The ladies go, and they are there to administer the burial spices. I don't know how they were going to get in. There was a big stone in the way, but, you know, we were kind of talking about this. Why was it the ladies who went? Because they had a heart. To serve Jesus, and they had a heart to make sure his body was okay. And if you want to spread the word, listen, telephone, telegraph, tell a woman. <laughs> you know, if the men would have showed up there and the stone was rolled away, they would have just like, ah, oh, let's go eat breakfast or something. They wouldn't have said anything about it. But the ladies went and they spread the news everywhere. And I want you to see this scene there. The angels appear and, and they, they, pro, they project this idea that Jesus is not dead, but he's alive. Why do you seek him at a tomb? He's a living God. He's resurrected. He's alive forevermore. Now, for Christians of every denomination, the Easter season starts with this 40 days of Lent, and it leads to the Holy Week, and we have Palm Sunday, and then Good Friday, and all of this is a, is a great, you know, celebration. It's a great remembrance for us as we think about Good Friday and his crucifixion. I don't know about you, but that's always a heavy day for me, a sad day to think about what Jesus went through to deliver me from me. 
But it doesn't end at Good Friday. It climaxes three days later on Resurrection Sunday with an empty tomb, with a risen Savior, with one who's alive forevermore. Amen? And that's the point of the... Easter celebration, that's the point of Holy Week. That's the point of us as Christians having a remembrance every year that we don't serve a dead God, but we serve a living God. He, the tomb couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't hold him. Sin couldn't stop him. Hell couldn't stop him. But he broke the powers of sin, of death, of hell and the grave, and he rose in victory so that we could have eternal life. Amen. To many, the resurrection is just a story, or at best, it's a, an ancient historical account of a man who claimed to be God, who was on a mission to die for the sins of the world, whose uh, believers believe that he rose again on the third day. Now, let's just be honest. It takes faith to believe this resurrection story, doesn't it? Now, no matter how, you know, some of us look, you know, like we got a few years going on us there, but none of us are old enough to have been eyewitness accounts. Anybody there at the resurrection? Anybody walk with Jesus? Any? No, don't raise your hand. No, we weren't there. We didn't see it. No, the Bible says, blessed are those who believe and do not see. We didn't see it, but yet we believe. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has made it real to us that Jesus is alive. Because of the fact that he has touched our lives and worked on us and changed us from the inside out by the resurrection power that we celebrate on this day. But it takes faith to believe in the resurrection. And God made it that way because he didn't want people to know him intellectually or know him scientifically or to know him by proof. He wanted us to know him through faith. So he leaves a little bit of faith there that we have to take this leap of faith to believe this resurrection story. Yet there are so many who try to dismiss it and poke holes in it and explain it away. Why? Because if Jesus is alive, then he is Lord. And if he's Lord, he has a say in how we live this life. So people don't want to believe in the resurrection story. Why? Because then there's accountability and the implications of that. And, and, and there, there needs to be faith. And so they make themselves comfortable by saying, oh, it's just a story. It's just fiction. And they dismiss it. Others say, well, the history is sketchy. Now, listen to me. Everything from ancient history was recorded by the scholars and the, the, the historians of the day. And there are more proofs and more uh, accounts of the fact that Jesus was a man who walked the earth. All the historians of the day prove it. If you can believe anything from the past, you can believe that Jesus was a man, that Jesus died. He was crucified by the Romans. And you know what? When the Romans crucified somebody, they didn't just pass out and go to sleep. The Romans knew how to put people to death. They killed Jesus. They put Jesus in a tomb, and he rose again, and he appeared to his disciples for 40 days afterward. Some Bible scholars say that there was enough eyewitness accounts and people willing to testify to the fact that Jesus rose that you could prove it in a court of law. So for those who say the history is sketchy or the story is fake or Jesus didn't exist, listen to me today. I want you to meet the risen Savior who's alive forevermore. He's alive today, and he still changes lives one at a time. If you approach the resurrection with an open heart and an open mind, there are many proofs of its authenticity. 
Lee Strobel, who is a Christian author and apologist and a pastor, wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. You see, Lee Strobel was an atheist, and he wanted to disprove the resurrection. And so he set about to study it and research it and look at all the historical facts. And the deeper he dug into it, the more he studied it, the more he began to believe. And finally, at the end of a two-year period, he accepts Christ and becomes a Christian. Because there's enough proof of the resurrection to convince even the most ardent skeptic. In just a minute, we're going to take a listen to Lee, and I'm going to let him explain the proofs of the resurrection from an apologistic expression, from a scholarly expression. And listen to this guy who went to disprove Jesus, but winds up believing in him. Enjoy this little clip. I was an atheist for much of my life, and it was my wife's conversion to Christianity that encouraged me to use my journalism training and my legal training to investigate uh, whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. I hoped to disprove the resurrection so I could rescue her from this cult that she got involved in. But after two years of looking at the evidence, it was like the scales shifted. Was there one piece of evidence more important than any other? Not really. It was all important, but there was one fact that I couldn't that couldn't dispute and really tip the scales, and that's this. The disciples, we have seven ancient sources saying that they live lives of deprivation and suffering as a result of their proclamation that Jesus had risen. In other words, they were willing to die for their proclamation he had risen. Now, what actually happened to some of the disciples gets lost a bit in the midst of history, but we know their willingness to die for this proclamation is well established. And so I started to think, wait a minute. You know, we have modern day terrorists who will die for their faith because they think they're going to heaven if they die that way. But do they know for a fact they will? No, they've just been taught it and they believe it. But in contrast, I realized the disciples were in a unique position. Of all human beings who've ever lived in history, the disciples were in a position to know for a fact did Jesus return from the dead and prove he's the son of God or didn't he? Is this a lie or is it the truth? They talked to the risen Christ. They touched him. They ate with him. They knew the truth. And knowing the truth, they were willing to die for the proclamation that Jesus had risen. That tells me something about the veracity of their claims. And that, I think, was the final fact that just made the scales go like that and convinced me the resurrection is true. Amen. Powerful testimony. The more you dig into God, even to disprove him or disbelieve, the more he reveals himself as the truth. To believers, the resurrection is so much more than a religious observance or a traditional celebration. Like, you know, this morning, it's not about Easter eggs and bunny rabbits and baskets full of chocolate. Are we all clear on that? Are we all on the same page? It's not about the bunny, it's about the lamb. The lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, amen. Now the world has its celebration and it's rooted in paganism and fertility gods and that's what the rabbits are about and that's what the bunnies are about. Look, if you give me a basket of chocolate, I'll take it because I'm not about to turn down chocolate. <laughs> but it's all about Jesus. And to us, it's very clear, it's about the lamb. And the truth is that to the Christian, it's not just history or it's not just a traditional celebration, but it is the centerpiece of our faith. To me, Resurrection Sunday is a Super Bowl of Christianity. 
It's the day where, I mean, it all comes to a head for us, amen? Uh, to believers, it's the linchpin of our faith. It's the centerpiece of our faith. Why? Listen, because if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then he's still in the grave. And if he's still in the grave, that our faith has no significance today. If Jesus is not alive, we should have all slept in today. But because he's alive, we've come to celebrate the significance of that. Our sins now can be forgiven. Our faith has significance. We have the hope of spending eternity in the presence of God. And that's a beautiful thing for us. Without the resurrection, our faith is just fairy tales. It has no punch to it. People say, Pastor, I believe in a higher power. I believe in a creator. You know, I hear people say that all the time. Well, I believe in a creator or, you know, I believe in an afterlife. Uh, Is believing that Jesus rose from the dead really that significant? And to that I answer this. Well, only if you want to be forgiven, saved, set free from your sin, and receive eternal life. If you're not interested in that, then I guess it's no big deal. But if you want to be saved, forgiven, redeemed, And be assured that heaven will be your final destination. The resurrection is vitally important. The Apostle Paul in Romans 10, 9, and 10 highlights the importance of individuals believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says this in verse 9 of Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Listen to that. Two components to receive salvation. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to go to church all the time. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to live perfectly. You have to confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Those are the two components. Now listen, he continues in verse 10, for with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness. It's our belief that Jesus is the lamb, the Messiah, the one who came to break the power of sin over our lives. The person believes what resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. So powerful, confession and belief. That's what it's all about. It's not about religion. It's not about rules. It's not about church attendance. It's about confession and belief. Because Jesus is alive and not dead, there are three things available to all of us who believe. Number one, faith is available to us. Say faith. Faith that's genuine, faith that's powerful, faith that you can bet your soul on is available to us. People have a lot of faith in a lot of things that are pretty shaky. We see that even in our own nation, our own economy, our own government, things are pretty shaky. And people are starting to wake up and go, you can't depend on the things we used to depend on. And it's getting people to shake a little bit internally. But it points us to having faith in God who never shakes, who is totally stable, who will never falter or fail. Faith is available to us. We can have faith in the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave. That's Jesus. He overcame all the things we couldn't. He purchased for us something we could never purchase ourselves. He came to pay a debt he didn't owe, and he paid it for us because we could never pay it ourselves. 
We can have faith in the incredible goodness and mercy and grace of God. And there is no one who could look at the cross, who could look at the empty tomb, who could look at the, the, the way God sent his son for us, that while we were yet sinners, he came to die for us. There's no one who could look at that and say, well, God doesn't love me. God's not interested in me. God, God's not for me. No, the cross and the empty tomb forever say to us that God loves us, that God has mercy on us, that God has grace on us. We can have faith in the goodness of God. We can have faith in the promise that he'll always be with us. Do you know the thought of being alone for some is a crushing thing? During holiday seasons, during Christmas, during Easter, during times where people are alone and they don't have family, they feel so incredibly alone. We as Christians are never alone. Now, if you're a parent and you have little children, you know what it feels like to never be alone. You know, you had to put a lock on both sides of the bathroom door to get some privacy. <laughs> but because God is with us, and as Christians, God is in us, and the Holy Spirit is in us, we're never alone. And Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. No matter what you go through, no matter how much you mess up or fall down or stray or wander, he's with you, and he promised not to leave you. <laughs> we can have faith in that. Also, we can have hope. Faith, hope, and love is what we can have today. Hope says this. We can have hope that God can change us, deliver us, and restore us. Did you ever look at your life sometimes and think, can people really change? You know, with, without God, it seems impossible to change. Even when you do change, you usually wind up going back to your old way soon enough. Come on, anybody ever diet? You lose weight, you get in shape, you play the Rocky music, you go in the gym. You start looking good. And all of a sudden, you, you slip back. And you knock a couple lasagnas down. and You go slow past the Kentucky Fried Chicken. And before you know it, it comes back. And the older I get, I'm like, can we really, really change? And the truth is, with man, change is impossible. With God, all things are possible. We can have the hope of changing. In fact, just to solidify this point, how many would say that since Jesus has come into your life, you've changed and you haven't gone back? Come on, raise your hand. God bless you today, man. We can have hope and change. We can have hope that no one is beyond the reach of God. You see, before Jesus died, before the tomb was empty, before there was hope and, and salvation and restoration and the goodness of God, uh, we could look at certain people and go, there's no way that person's going to get saved. Have you ever looked at some people, man, they're so bad. They're just, I mean, there's no way. They don't want anything to do with God. Yet over and over in my life, I've seen God reach the person that everybody counted out, that everyone cast aside, and God reaches down and grabs a hold of them and changes them and saves them. And that hope comes from the empty tomb. It's that resurrection power that can change anyone, that can reach anyone. I encourage you today. Don't look at people and discount them. Don't look at people and write them off. God can reach anyone. Your friends, your family, your coworkers. That person you've been praying for for decades. Don't quit. Have hope. Believe this morning. No one is beyond the reach of God. 
we can have hope that heaven will be our eternal destination. There's so many people, they don't know if they're coming or going. They don't know when they die what's going to happen or they're going to go to heaven or they go to hell. But listen, for the Christian, we know that Jesus purchased eternal life for us and that we're going to heaven, not because we're good, not because we're perfect, not because we get it right every time, but we have this hope because of what he's done for us and how his blood covers us and redeems us that we'll spend eternity with God. What a hope to have that heaven will be your home. The last thing I want to cover with you this morning and the, the cast and crew who's involved in our drama present, presentation can get ready at this time. Uh, I want to talk to you about love. We can have faith, that's available to us. We can have hope, that's available to us. And because that tomb is empty and Jesus is alive, love is available to us. We can have a love for Jesus and for the Father that we never had before. Do you know the Bible says it's impossible to love God in your own strength, in your own human nature? But when Jesus touches your heart and saves you from your sins and covers you with his blood and fills you with his spirit, now we have a love for Jesus that should outshine and overshadow every other love we have. He needs to be our first love, and he can be our first love because of what he's done for us. So we can love the Father. The Bible says that when we are away from God and we're at enmity with him, we're at odds with God. Our sinful flesh wants to do all the things that offend God. But in Christ, uh, being filled with the Spirit, we can please God because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. We can love Jesus, and we can love the Father. We can have a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with the Father. Amen. You know what else? When you're in Christ, because of that empty tomb, you can love your brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible says you know, they know that we've passed from death unto life because we have a love for the brethren. We love each other, amen, as a church. And that love transcends all our socioeconomic background, all our ethnicity and race and all that. It supersedes all of that. And there's a love. Come on, look around this morning. Look around this morning at this room. Look at, you're just looking at me. You're still looking at me. Look around the room this morning. Look at the, the tapestry of, of, of different people, unique people that God has here today. There's no division in Christ. There's unity, and that comes from this love that we have for each other. Number three, and the last thing I want to say is we can learn to love ourselves. Now, some of us cringe at this idea, and some of us have been told you, you shouldn't love yourself. You know, you're filthy, sinful wretch, and just go with that. But we've got to learn to love ourselves. You know why? Because God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. What does that mean? That means he saw something in us because we were made in his image. He saw something in us special and unique because he knit us together in our mother's womb. You're not an accident today. You're on purpose. God knit you together in your mother's womb. You may have surprised your parents. But you didn't surprise God. He knew you from the, even before your conception. We can learn to love ourselves. Now, some people love themselves a little too much. And that's not a good thing. And that's not what I'm talking about. But you and I need to see our intrinsic value because God made us. 
And we need to learn to accept ourselves and be comfortable in our own skin. You know, sometimes you look in the mirror and go, I want to talk to the manager. You know, we've got to learn to love ourselves. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And once you learn to love yourself and you receive God's love, you can love others. You know, the, har the hardest people, the nastiest people, the people that, you know, are just angry all the time, it's, be it's not because of you, it's not because of me, it's not because of our driving, it's not because we didn't merge smoothly. It's because they don't love themselves. And because of what Jesus has done, we can love the Father, we can love the Son, we can love each other, and we can love ourselves. Just a moment here, our drama ministry is going to present the crucifixion and the resurrection scene to us, and I want you to enjoy this this morning, and I want you to let it touch your heart, because you know what, we're a visual people, and sometimes, you know, we need to see things, and I pray this morning as you see uh, this presentation that once again it will remind you what Jesus went through for us, what he suffered for us. And the glory of the fact that he is risen and all the implications it has on each of our lives this morning. Enjoy these scenes.